cliffcentral.com. This show contains adult content. If you find it offensive, please go to the cliffcentral.com website where there's a show for you. Cliffcentral.com. It is Sex Talk with John T. Searle on Friday morning, unradio, unscripted, uncensored. And we're going deep. We're going into probably one of the darkest places of the human soul this morning. Um, a place that it's hard to describe. And the more I was thinking about the topic, the more overwhelming it becomes is the topic of, of rape. It's a scourge in South Africa. Um, and some amazing people come to share their stories. So welcome, Mia Malan from Becky Sisa of the Mail and Guardian. Thank you. And you've got to talk really close to the mic. Thank you. Nice <laughs> to be here. And a beautiful woman, Haley Rosenbach, come to share your story. And we are so grateful for that. Thank you so Thank much, Jansi. Um, such an important topic. Um, we've got to do something first, though. Ninja sex. Chocolate starfish. Twitter bag. Calipagian. Today's dirty dictionary word is... Heel dough. Dirty dictionary word... Heel dough. Any idea what a heel dough is, Haley? No idea. Come on, take a guess. In a whole different note. Yeah. <laughs> In a whole different note. <laughs> In a fun, lifting up the spirit notes. Yeah. Okay. Sounds like some form of martial art. Some form martial art. art. You are so far from that. Maybe Haley should know. This is yeah. It's a sexual. It's a sex dictionary. Yeah. yeah. Mia, any 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 clue? No clue. No clue. Take a guess. Come on. I really, I, I have no idea. Okay. Come on. So, so you know, the, 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 the point is mm. that it sounds like a dildo, heel dough, mm. and mm. I don't want to think about what it's, you know, a heel dough is, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to say it's not that. So it's some, some sort of dildo fetish or a dildo okay. idea. So you absolutely were right there. Okay. So it's a dildo that attaches to a heel with some kind of harness. Okay. Don't take it the wrong way, people, but there's shocked. Yeah, okay. But the reality is that we actually had for sex a few years ago, we had a open line for people mm -hmm. to tell us their fantasies. And one of the fantasies, it's all mm. with no names. One of the fantasies was a guy or girl, girl or guy that told us, they told us that they, their fantasy is to take high heels and actually some, somebody, a porn star to have sex with him with high heels. So it's something that is out there. Yeah, it's been for in, in a lot of ancient Japanese erotica, um, horns of animals that were carved into like dildo shapes and were attached to a woman's ankle and her heel. So she could sit there with this inside of her. She could put a kimono all over it so it could be all nice and quiet and private. So it's not a new thing. Yeah, it's actually it's sounds completely cultural long, long and traditional. Yeah. Okay. So share with us on WeChat. And our WhatsApp number, 079-748-2090. Your questions, your comments. We are live, and we are live on Twitter at? Twitter at uh, sextalk underscore Cliff C. Fantastic. That's it. And, uh, yeah, get, get, please get your comments going. It's a topic yeah. that we know from Twitter that you guys have been reacting and sharing and reposting, and it's a topic that touches all of us. Yeah. So the inspiration for the show, where it came from, was um, Amy, my daughter, telling me about the app that Becky Sisa developed. Mia, tell us about that, please. That was the start of this journey. Sure. 
So, um, Bikisisa is the health desk of the Mail and Guardian. Okay. And we do quite a few long-form stories about societal issues. So, in October 2015, we published a long story about rape in a Johannesburg um, township mm. called Tipsluit. And... I spent quite a bit of time, about a week in Dipsluit, with various victims and survivors. And the one thing that was common about everyone that I interviewed in the story was that no one had access to any help. They would report it to the police, but nothing would happen. But most importantly, no one had access to any counseling afterwards. The only organization, there was a small, unfunded organization called the Green Door, of really one guy volunteering and counseling people at night. That was the only place that they could contact, and obviously the capacity wasn't big enough. So when it was being reported and there was no help, was that because there were no resources available? People didn't know about the resources. Okay. So they thought if there's not a government place that can help you, there's no help. Okay. Now, there's no government hospital mm. close or nearby Dipsluit. There are only two clinics, and they don't, they don't stock rape kits or have rape counseling. There was really only the police station. And if they didn't get help there, they felt there is no help available. But meanwhile, there were these five organizations, non-governmental organizations, which did do work in Dipsluit, but no one knows. And as you could imagine, Dipsluit is a very big place. People mm. estimate there's about 500,000 people living wow. there. Wow. And a recent study, actually, that was released last year, late last year, by one of the organizations, Sonke Gender Justice, that works there, showed that when they asked men, um, have you beaten or have you raped a woman, 56% of the men said they had raped or beaten a woman, and 60% said they had done so more than once. Now, you could imagine. That's horrendous. That's, it's almost inconceivable, that. If, if you work it out, if you assume there's 500,000 people living there, um, it's not an official figure, it's mm. what people estimate, it's about 150,000 women needing access to counseling. And no one knew where to find this mm. help. So as a result of the article, we got a lot of responses and the Green Door got a lot of donations, but still no one had access to enough help. We thought we would like to help in some way to connect people to the services that are available. Mm. So we started the Vimbal helpline, not alone. It would obviously be quite stupid to start it alone because we're just a media organization. We're not the people providing the help. We just want to link people. Mm. So there are five organizations, the Green Door that I mentioned. There's a gender organization, Sonke Gender Justice. There's an organization called Lawyers Against Abuse. Um, another one called Africa Tukin. And another one um, that um, um, the South African um, Association of Depression and Anxiety that can help people with counseling. So we partnered with those organizations to create an app where you'd need no data on your phone because you could imagine that, that people in Dipsluit are not going to have the money to, to use an app that requires data. And um, so it uses special technology where you can buy, dial a number, and as soon as you dial this number, it would ask you, where are you based in Dipsluit? It would ask you, what's your language? It's available in English, Sepedi, and Zulu. It would ask you four questions. Have you been raped? Do you want to help someone who's been raped? Or have you been beaten or abused? And do you want to help people, someone who's been raped, um, uh, beaten or abused? And as soon as you select one of those, it will SMS you for free all the details of these organizations, where to get hold of them, also the police and the ambulance. And it would at the same time record where are you calling from, what time of the day are you calling from, what time of the month, so that the organizations that provides the help can use this information to determine Determine, you know, when is help the most needed? What time of the month is help the most needed? When do they need to make more people available for help? And we're hoping it's, it was launched on the 30th of November, so we only have one month of data mm. so far. But we're hoping that the trends that it sets will help these organizations to also target their funding at those areas and times of the month when it's most needed. So what's happened in the month since it's been launched? What are the, what's the response been? So we've had overwhelming response. 
pounds. Um, when we received the data for the, for December, it was about four times higher than we thought it would have been. We thought initially, because it's only in Dipslut, yeah. right? We would yeah. have about 50 people calling in. We had about 300 um, calling in and most of the people um, selected the option where they said, I have been abused myself or beaten. Now, of course, it's a, it's a month in which the app mm. was tried out. So some of these responses could very well have been people just checking it out. Yeah. But it was interesting that um, uh, most people also um, contacted sort of during the daytime. So it might be after the previous night. And there was a big spike. Obviously, there was a spike on the 1st of December, just the day after it was launched. But there was a very big spike on the 16th of December, mm. which was a long weekend and which is associated but with a lot of alcohol. Yeah, but also that's the time of activism around. Yes. Yeah, that, that's a time of activism, yeah. but specifically that day, it was on yeah. Friday, you know, yes. and all the people always that we talk to say the closer it's to a holiday or when there's more time, for, for, for instance, for alcohol or people are, are hanging so around So those are definitely home. contributing factors? Like well, alcohol plays a big part in this? Well, research definitely shows that alcohol plays a significant part in rape. It doesn't make you rape, yeah. but it's a contextual factor where it um, it, it, it goes to both sides. It makes um, someone a victim more vulnerable. Because you're not as alert as you could be It's not your fault that you got raped But you're less alert And it also makes abusers more violent There's mm. lots of research that shows that And it makes you um, have less, fewer inhibitions So yeah. it's lots of, of, of in, there, there are so many studies yeah. showing that, that that is associated yeah. Yeah. You know, that's interesting Because in our world Which is, is more a world of sexual exploration Very often a lot of people go and do things Under the influence of alcohol That they would not otherwise do and it's, uh, it's somewhere along that spectrum of that. And we've always said, if you cannot do the stone cold sober, then don't do it. Full stop. And I, I would imagine this is somewhere along that spectrum with the same kind of idea. Absolutely, yeah. You would not do that under in, in a sober space. Mm. You know, you would be more. You would you you would have, have more, more inhibitions. Filters, yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. 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 So from the research that you've done, something has come up that the idea of why. People rape. Yes, yes. What have you come to about that? I don't know if we have a definitive answer, but let's. So, of course, there's obviously not just one answer, right? Yeah, there's course. there's lots of so they 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 things that I'm more familiar with. Yeah. And in my research, I have the, the thing that has struck me most, and it's obviously not the only reason why people rape. Obviously, rape is an act of violence. Yeah. It has very little to do with sex. Yeah. But. For me, the most intriguing part, and perhaps it's my interest, or just like our country, is that there is, there's a, a, a huge body of research showing that if you were a boy and you were abused as a child, you are significantly more likely to become an abuser as an adult. Regardless of the form of that abuse. If it Actually, was by a male, by a female. Regardless who abused you. Mm. And... Um, Actually, in, a, in the Dipslut and the Sonki Change trial that came out last year, that it showed that 85% of the men who were interviewed, and remember more than half of them said they have raped or mm. beaten a woman, said they were abused as children. Not necessarily sexually, mm. sexually, physically, or just neglected. Research also shows that if you were a girl and you were abused as a, as, as, as a child, you are then far more likely to become a victim again as an mm. adult. And in a way, in South Africa, many people or researchers would argue that we are breeding uh, a nation of, yeah. of victims and of abusers. Yeah, this rape, it's a culture that's become ingrained in yes. so many aspects of our society. The first study last year um, that came out, it was a national study that told us how many children do get abused. Mm. Showed it was called the Optimist Study and it was released by the University of Cape Town. And it showed by the time that a child in South Africa reaches the age of, age of 17, one out of three has been sexually abused. Mm. Now there's a definition of sexually abused there. It's not just being abused yourself. It's if, if you had to, like, if you were forced to watch pornography mm. or if you forced to, to look at people having sex, but also being abused, of course. And one of the things that really contribute to being abused is the type of household you grow up in, how much protection there is. And obviously, if you have two parents present, it doesn't mean you won't get abused, mm. but there's a, there's a less of a physical chance, research shows, that, that you would get abused, of course, if both parents are intact and if they look after you. And in South Africa, only one, our stats South Africa data shows only one out of three children in South Africa grow up in a household where there are two parents present, oh. which makes children more vulnerable, obviously. Yeah. 
um, and are mostly they only grow up with a mother. Mm. So a lot of the studies that have been done are, would be in areas like Dipslut. Um, across the board, if you take the same kind of, of information and put that into Santon, for example, have studies been done in those areas as well? Far fewer studies have yeah. been done in those areas. And, of course, one of the arguments that people use is why do you just focus on Dipslut yeah. and why do you just focus on townships, yeah, basically? From the factors you've said, we understand that that's more prevalent there. There's no question. But it has to exist in other areas as well. It has to exist in the more affluent areas. Absolutely. Because it's about people. Absolutely. Not just the social context that we live in. It's about people, and whether you're wealthy or poor does not make you more likely to no. be a sexual abuser. But what does make you more likely in a poor area is, of course, the amount of protection that's available. Yeah. So, for instance, one of the... Um, things that came out from our app in the first month is that most of the calls were from extension one. There are 13 extensions in Dipsluit. It's the poorest and most under-resourced section. Of course, people who tried it out could just also have selected number one because mm. it's the first month. But um, there is a lot of research showing that if there's more protection, it's less likely. But you're absolutely right. I, uh, sexual abuse happens everywhere. It happens in affluent areas mm. and it has nothing to do with um, you don't become a different type of person. Yeah, because people are people. Yes. And we tend to get more shocked when we hear somebody like Haley sitting here has had that kind of experience as opposed to somebody in deep slurt. And that tends to shock us more, maybe because of we can relate more to that Absolutely. in a way. Absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah, I think we're all used to hearing about more stories and the statistics in the poorer areas. Yeah. But it is prevalent through every area. Oh. Yeah, regardless. Because that's people. And mm. to expect people to be different just because they live somewhere else mm. is a, an absurd Absolutely. idea. So the question then comes in, in that space, would it be more kind of hidden? Would it be more because we tend to conceal a lot of social issues, like in a more affluent area? A lot of stuff would be more, we don't talk about this. Mm. Your father's an alcoholic or your father's an abuser Or your father's a drug addict or your mother Is having multiple, we don't talk about that mm, Yeah, definitely behind so we, closed doors Yeah, so we'd hide it much more Does that exist, do you think? I would imagine it does I have not read the research yeah. in that area so If I can't, there is any I cannot imagine that there's none mm. there, there, there should be um, But of course, if it's If you live in a house where um, With more rooms and more um, of course, it's easier to hide yeah, it. And of absolutely. course, um, if it's in a society where it's so unacceptable or where it's not acceptable to talk about it, then of course you will talk about it less. But I do think there is research. Um, I just haven't studied all yeah. of it. And, you know, on, in middle class areas and pedophiles, you find so commonly in middle class areas. Yeah, and that's across the board. And, and I get a sense, not that that's growing but that more people have access to, you know, because of the Internet. So, for example, more people have access to child porn than ever before. So it's not that that never existed before. And, and I don't know if the amount of people are growing. It's just simply more people are coming out of the closet, for want of a better word. I want to just put a – just to, to clarify for myself um, – when we talk about rape and when we talk about molesting or, mm. or, or pedophilia or any kind of other sexual violence, we, we have to be specific as well. There's different stats around that and rape, as we discussed just now, uh, and that's why Mia explained it before the show that she's now working on another, how to, to continue those, those, you know, this exposure around, the, about, around rape and what actually causes it. But then again, when we talk about some kind of mental issue with sexuality or a, you know a health a health issue with uh, sexuality disorders it's very different because very very different because there is stats that are scary around rape okay and around actually that it's not even wrong one of the things that i got from your article Mia, is that you know men saying it's not wrong it's i paid her I can, you know, she. I can do what I, I like. I can do what I like. Or the child, I gave him some sweets. It's a fair trade, mm. you know, to take advantage of vulnerability of a victim. Somebody who was a victim, not even understanding. Even the the attacker itself doesn't understand that he's doing something wrong. That's why I said this is such an overwhelming yeah. issue because the depth of it or the culture that's bred this has so many different aspects. Mm. 
So I would imagine, for example, in Dipster, it's such a lack of education plays such a part of it. And not only, not only school education, but education about being a human being, being a person, um, what that means and the impact that has. So one of the things that, that research shows on why men rape is that is how they perceive it, what it means to be a man, mm. they, their con- perception of mas- masculinity. And in this um, Sonki trial, they asked men um, sort of like, you know, what do you think about women? And there are some very, very interesting figures. They found that a lot of men, and I actually wrote them down on a paper for you, just to, that they associated, it's not a cause, but they associated mm. it with violence against women, that um, – 76% of the men, and these were 2,600 men that they spoke to, um, had sexually entitled views as in um, believing that a woman is not allowed to refuse sex mm. if she's your partner. And um, many of them had what they call gender inequitable views. So in other words, they um, they don't think men and women are equal and men should make decisions for women. And that's very closely associated with the rights that they think a woman mm. could have or that men think it can have. They also found that about a third of the men who did commit violence against women had seven sexual partners or more. So there's association with more sexual partners, increasing mm. sex, number of sexual partners and, and how you treat women. And lots of them were depressed. About 50% of them with a screening test tested depressed. And um, they did find that there were things that prevented men from, from rape. That's specifically just in Dipsluit. One of the things was age. They found if a man was 27 years and older, there was a less of a chance for, for, for violence. So it's not just raping. It's also beating physical violence. They found if a man was employed, it was significantly less likely that he would abuse a woman. Mm. You could imagine there's, there's less time and, and they felt more worthy yeah. because they contributed. And another interesting thing was that if a man lived in a house where there was food security, so if there was enough food for everyone mm. in that house, they were less likely to be violent towards yeah. women. goes back to very much um, to a lot of Viktor Frankl's teachings um, and his great book, Man's Search for Meaning. And uh, he was uh, in the concentration camps in the Second World War and came out of that with the understanding, he's a psychiatrist, and came out of that with the understanding that firstly people who survived that had some level of meaning in their lives. It didn't have to be world-changing meaning, but it could be incredibly small and seemingly insignificant. But if there was meaning, we could survive so much. And he extended this into a whole field of therapy called logotherapy based on, on, on finding meaning that what he discovered was if there was some kind of meaning in life, so many, to put it in, in clinical parlance, psychoses and neuroses tended to disappear if we had meaning, regardless of what that was. And there's an extension of that that's quite fascinating in terms of a new model of addiction that's come out that's found that <clears throat> as soon as people have a level of meaning and a contribution and a connection to society, so many addictions tend to fall away. And they've done that in Portugal with the most amazing results where they legalized all drugs and then took a whole lot of addicts and actually gave them jobs and found something to do and addiction disappeared. So it kind of really makes sense Mm. that. So the bigger picture of this is such a, a deeper social context yeah, And if you look at saying there are around 500,000 people living in this incredible space of lack, how do you change that? And it's literally sitting here, it's like this overwhelming thing. What do you do to change that? Yeah, I wouldn't even know where to start with something like that. What that trial is trying to do is to have workshops with men Mm -hmm. to change their perceptions on gender. And Mm. they're going to measure if it's worked Mm. in, in about a year from now. But the interesting thing was when they tried to get venues in which they can run these workshops, because you need like 20 men or so, you know, a a Mm. space that's big enough. They couldn't find any public spaces in Dipsluit other than Shabins that were big enough to to accommodate these men. So they're having it in Shabins, and there's lots of research showing that the less recreation 
people have, the more likely they are to drink and get involved in other things. So perhaps one of the solutions in a place like Dipslut is to also look at, like you say, to add more meaning. Are there sort of venues available where people could do meaningful things and you need public spaces other than schools for that? And and that would be a big issue. And if you look at the city of Johannesburg's budget at the moment, only 1% of Dipsluit's budget is allocated to addressing social issues. There's only one park in a place like Dipsluit, a recreational park that, that's in a working order yeah. for for people to to do anything meaningful or to have exercise or do anything where they feel worthy. So, yes, there are very few things available to make people feel like, there's something they can do with their lives, and you could imagine the unemployment rates yeah. and stuff. Yeah, bigger, bigger picture. Um, the stats of the amount of rape in South Africa on a daily, monthly basis. Do you have any idea of that? I don't have that with me mm. at the moment, and there's not very reliable stats. Yeah. Um, what we what we know from the Maboneng exhibition that all yeah. the panties hanging. They, they said there's three thousand four hundred cases of rape reported daily. But there was a lot of controversy around that. Yes, but let's say it's thousands without even – that's only the ones that are being being reported. reported. Mm -hmm. So that's the numbers that we came across. But it's not something that we we know because there's so many areas. So from what we've said, I would imagine then that the resources to help people, to help victims then would be so determined by area. Well, yeah, but if you go to a place like Dipsluit and you hear that 56% of men say they've abused a woman and there's not a single rape government clinic available, then you wouldn't think so. So, so doesn't make any sense. Yeah, so that's squarely at the feet of the government in it's, that. It's changing. You know, in Israel only 11 years ago, the legislation changed from a husband can't rape his wife. You know, in Israel, you mm. consider as a quite liberal. In Ireland, in in America, only recently, a husband can't, you know, ask mm. ask sex whenever he wants. But so much of that is actually based in religion. True. And, and we know, you know from yeah. the therapy room, how many wives and how many ladies come to you yeah. and say, I'm actually, I'm a victim of my own, in my own house. Yeah. Fascinating stuff it is. Haley, tell us your story. Hmm. Um, nearly two years ago, um, I went out to a local restaurant in Durban to meet up with a friend. Um, I arrived there, ordered a glass of wine. My phone, my friend ca- called and said that she couldn't meet me, she couldn't get a babysitter. So I thought I'd finish my glass of wine and go. Someone spiked my drink in that short time. Um, and I have no memory from arriving at the restaurant until the following morning, waking up in a strange bed with bruises and blood all over, um, and then just running like hell, half naked, trying to find where I was. And then over the, the next few weeks, all the memories from the hypnol that was given to me started coming back again and again. So I had to relive the experience again and again, and it wasn't just one man, it was three men. I managed to find the one man, um, but um, the, the trauma that that caused me as an adult, when you don't think a 40-something-year-old woman mm. is going to be raped and drugged um, by a man in his 50s, a respectable-looking man um, in the horse racing industry. So he had access to a lot of horse drugs as well. So that was also part of what was put into my drink. So, yeah, the it took me a very long time to to stop or to process all the memories. They would just arrive out of nowhere and it would be replayed until it was finished, until I could no Mm. longer handle it, until I had healed that part of me. Um, But, yeah, very little support from from people in general because people don't know how to deal with someone who's been abused or hurt. Yeah, when it, it embarrasses us. And we don't know how to be with somebody mm-hmm. in that space. Did, did you report this? I didn't know. I was okay. so overwhelmed and so shocked. And it took me literally two days to come down from the drug. Mm. Um, and then I went to the hospital and got checked, HIV and all of mm. that. But it was too late for, for DNA. Um, and then it took me some time to, to track this man. Mm. Um, well, the one of the men, I haven't found the other ones yet. But yeah, going back to people's support is what you need the most as a rape survivor 
that nobody knows how to deal with you. So mm. they tell you just to get on with your life and stop thinking about it. And I think that was the most hurtful and the hardest part of my mm. process. So we are helping others in, in educating people to know how to support anybody, anybody who's been abused or raped. What would you have wanted or needed in terms of support? Just an ear and a hug. Mm-hmm. That's as simple as that. Mm. Not to be told, oh, we shouldn't have done that or we shouldn't have gone mm. out alone and made me feel like I was the guilty one and I deserved it. That's yeah. a big point. Yeah, and it happens so much where women are, are made to feel the victim. You ask for it. Yeah, that you caused this. Absolutely. The way you dressed, the way that you behaved. And that comes up It's probably not a week that goes past mm. that, that we don't hear something like that. Absolutely. And it's a conditioning that we brought up with that mm. even in, as an educated and a therapist myself, I was doubting myself. I'm like, mm. did I deserve it? Did I, did, did I bring it on? Should I have not gone out yeah. alone? In a respected area in Durban in a beautiful restaurant. Mm. So that self-doubt is such deep conditioning that needs to be changed to our children. Yeah. Mia, should every, by law, is every police station supposed to have a rape kit, a rape trained counsellor? I'm not sure about that. Mm. Um, what I do th- know is that we've got... Um, Rape counseling centers that mm. at the moment is experiencing a lack of funding, but it seems like that government centers that the Jerusalem are centers that that seems like they are starting to get funding again. Mm. But you get back to the reporting things. So I'm, I'm busy with a follow up story on the influence of alcohol on sexual abuse. Mm. And one of the interesting things in the research is that, of course, if a woman drank, she is not responsible for a man raping her, right? Mm. That doesn't give anyone the right to rape you. But they found that if you did have a drink or two, women are far less likely to report the rape because of self-guilt mm. and what, what Haley mentioned now. And, um, and then they're far less likely to access help. Mm. So, and they also found that a police officer or social worker's response to you, if you had a drink, for instance, as well, is very different to if only the perpetrator was drinking. Wow. So they already put a stigma on you and it wasn't your fault, right? Yes, perhaps you were more vulnerable, but that's not, no, no one has the, ra- the right yeah. to rape or abuse another person. Yeah. So it's a very, um, it's a very perceptual thing and it's a very stigmatized thing, right, Haley, where, um, drinking, can be stigmatized by, or if you went to a restaurant alone. But yes, of course, you're more vulnerable, but it doesn't mean anyone has the right to abuse you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that whole thing around it of, of then accessing help or reporting it, it becomes so much more difficult to do it. Yeah. So, so much comes from what we believe about ourselves mm-hmm. as men, about what we believe as men, about women, women about men, um, what everybody has a right to. And one of the things that's so crucial to access not necessarily emotionally, but for your physical health is mm. that if you want to, you, you know, violent sex in, in violent sex, which is associated with rape, right? You're so much more likely to become infected with HIV mm. than, than in, in sex with no trauma, um, sort of, um, associated with it. And you can get drugs for free from the government. Mm. To prevent HIV infection and it's really effective, but you need to take it within 72 hours. Then it's no longer really effective afterwards. And if you embarrassed and if you didn't access help, you wouldn't be able to, to access that and it's available for free. Mm. Um, and it's so important. That's one of the things that our app also does. It sends you where you can find these things mm. or it tells you what you need to access. And if it's so stigmatized, how will you access that help? You know, it's the difference yeah. between becoming infected and not infected. Um, and if you look at HIV statistics, you know, for instance, if you got raped, say, near Shabin or a place of drinking, um, HIV infection rates among heavy drinkers is so much higher. So it's so much more likely that someone raped you that could have been infected, that it's so, so important that 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 we destigmatize it and that we help people to, to access that kind of help that's only available, you know, within mm. a certain number of hours after it happened. Yeah. What is the impact on your sexuality of this? Sure. Um, initially, um, I completely shut down. I mm. was recently divorced, so I was alone. Um, you were divorced before the rape? Yeah. Okay. Um, and only re- only been alone single for a few months so mm. it, it really threw me uh, my confidence as a single woman was completely shattered um, and I went through moments of wanting to dominate men to killing them mm. um, sexually physically 
um, I played again and again in my mind as to, just from my own hurt, how can I find my power back through through this kind of horrific kind of thinking? Mm. But it was real, and that's, you know... Um, so an incredible level of anger. Oh, huge. Indescribable almost yeah, anger. Absolutely. And I still, I mean, I could kill. Yeah. I get triggered every so often by something, and it overwhelms me how angry I still am. Mm. So it takes, it takes time, a long time to process. Yeah, I would imagine it's not a, a quick healing no. at all. And I think this is something that I really, really want to share and get out there, that it's not something you just get over. I must mm. have been told a hundred times, oh, come on, stop thinking about it, get on with your life. Mm. And that's such a slap in the face. I said, well, be in my body for just one day and feel what it feels like to have that memory in your body, to have an injured neck from being raped by three men and being mm. hurt. And that is with me every day. So don't tell me to get over it. So I want to encourage people to be as kind and as gentle and as supportive as possible. Mm. We don't need fixing. We're not broken. We need compassion and we need love so, that's, so we can heal. How important yeah. is that system? How, how sacred is our mm. sexuality, our bodies? It's the, really the only thing that is completely mm. private and it's ours. Absolutely. And when it's being taken away from us, this mm. is, this is not something, you know, there's a very big misperception. There's an unbelievable misperception of what is somebody taking over your power. Um, it's just a physical thing, right? That's, that's mm. so many people that haven't. So think of a child that that's, you know, that's why. Mia is also pointing out that children that are being abused in such a young age, their chances in life to actually not become abusers themselves is very low because the whole psychological ecosystem, let's call it, is being completely influenced by it. Mm. And you are a grown, beautiful woman who is extremely intelligent and in her power. And yet again, you're saying, it's, mm. it's, I need compassion. I need the support. Yeah. Interesting thought. Um, the amount of relationships that survive a partner being raped. Any idea on that, Mia? Would you have any idea? I mean, I'm sure there are some studies out there, yeah. but it was just it's an interesting thing. Mm. I, we're going to come back to this topic in, in a month or so because there are so many different aspects of it, and that would be an interesting thing to look at, just how many relationships or the impact of a partner being raped mm. on a relationship. Mm. One of my closest friends were, was raped, and uh, she described it as a moment that she actually chose either to live or die after the rape. She, yeah. she chose to live and live, live a beautiful, full life. She mm. was also what, a 23-year-old woman, and uh, she was completely conscious when the rape happened, but she actually just she, she, she broke up with her boyfriend mm. eventually because, in a sense, she had to let go of a part of herself and to recreate herself. And also she grew a lot from it. It was a, it was a platform mm. of actually saying, no, I'm not going to let this ruin my life. Mm. Yes, for a few years she couldn't walk in the dark. Yes, for a few years she couldn't have sex. Yes, for a few years she couldn't trust anybody, but she said, I'm not letting this go. I'm not mm. letting this go. And she, when she grew... She a little bit also outgrew her boyfriend mm. because she had he stayed in that place wanting to protect her, mm. and she was already a full, let's say, reborn yeah. woman. Exactly. It, that, yeah. yeah, and it destroys. You know, you think about um, different civil wars in parts of the world where systematic rape is used as an instrument of absolute destruction. In the Bible, in, they mention it even that they yeah. they use it to destroy but a nation, we a know village. That it's happened in Africa, in Serbia, in those conflicts. We're Rwanda, literally, yeah, Rwanda, systemic yeah. rape of uh, populations of of women by men. The kidnapping yeah. of their girls, and, and not only the impact on women, but the impact on the men who are put in the space and conditioned to do this. And it's probably the biggest bastardization of our sexuality. Of something so beautiful, that's the depth of it. And the impact on the children who get born yeah. as a result of that, right? Yeah. Mm. And that's, as you've said, from what the research is showing, that just continues. Why is that, Mia? Why do you think that is? What is the trigger that says, because this was done to me, I'm going to do this? Um, so, I need to think. Um mm. So I think it has to do with if you damaged and that damage was not addressed mm. and in very few cases it does get addressed, it becomes a vicious circle. Mm. 
Um, it's the same with physical abuse. If someone um, grows up in a household where, say, a father Domestic is physically violence. violent towards mm. a mother, the person is more likely to turn mm. out to, to do that as well. And many people would, for instance, um, many researchers would define, say, the definition of physical violence also just looking at it, even if you weren't if the child wasn't hit, mm. if the child had to see the mother or father being physically violent. And I think it has to do with damage that hasn't been addressed. And um, the same with if you were a girl and you were a victim. Um, this also, for instance, in this Dipslut study, it shows that even adults that had to um, to view trauma or to experience trauma to view violence as an adult, say in Dipsluit, was 60% more likely to then abuse someone as well. It it has to do with the impact that it has on you. I do not know all the details of, you know, exactly what the system is, but I guess it has to do with processing it and not... And not being equipped to do that. And we're not given the tools to do that. Mm. Yeah. It's amazing because in some ways we are so strong and in some ways we are so fucking fragile and delicate. Yeah. And there was this one boy actually that I, I didn't interview the boy, but I interviewed a sort of a therapist of the boy. And um, he was eight or nine years old and in a class and the teacher left and he started to take out his penis and he still told the girl in the class, suck, suck it. And the teacher and the children started to scream and, and, and came back and said, why are you doing this? You know, what's wrong with you? And it came out, his response was to the therapist, I want to feel what it feels like because he was... He was living with four men and every evening that he went home, he had to do this mm. to men. So there's also a lot of imitation, you know, mm. and just wanting to figure out what is this. Mm. And you could imagine on a child, the impact, they don't understand the sexuality around it. It's just something that, that they get taught to do. And this, of course, you know, it doesn't just happen in Dipslot. It happens in middle class areas. It happens everywhere. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah. It's, it's amazing. You know, my world... Is one of generally the beauty of sexuality, um, and this just takes it to such an unimaginable space for so many of us, in a way. It's, yeah, mm, absolutely, mm, it really, really does. But again, it shows how important even basic sex education is. And a forum for people to be able to talk about this from the time that they're really, mm. really young and really, really small. And understanding mm. what is theirs, what is rightfully theirs, what is their, what are their rights? Mm. Yeah. What are their basic rights? Even if they grow up in a house that they're, they can understand something that doesn't sit, doesn't make sense. Mm. Cause what they're taught in school or in some sort of community doesn't sit with what happens yeah. in their house. Then they can at least understand it's wrong. How many schools are there in Dipsloot? I have no idea. Mm. I haven't. Um, I can. You know, does, uh, I guess the question would be: Does every child who lives there go to school? I, I don't no know. Idea either. Yeah, I don't know the figures on that. But there are quite a few schools. There are private mm. schools as well. Um, obviously, low, um, cheap private schools. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I know that Sonki is in the process of making a list of how many shabins there are, hmm. and there are definitely more shabins than schools. Than schools, schools. Yeah. absolutely, absolutely, yeah. yeah. And it's fascinating how the influence of alcohol on so many things is enormous. And our society is so happy to promote alcohol. And something like dope comes along and, wow, that mm. causes a war all mm. by itself. I'm not saying that we should all go out and smoke dope. But the fact that we are so happy to promote the substance that really we know it makes people angry. We know it makes people aggressive. And yet we're so happy for it to mm. be in absolute abundance, supply and availability. Absolutely. And also the alcohol gives you no control, I think. Yeah. Um, where people who have been able to control themselves sober aren't able to control themselves under the influence. Absolutely. Yeah, oh. oh, fuck, we've got it wrong. Hey? Oh. And, and, and research also shows that um, women who have been abused are more likely to drink afterwards as a coping mechanism, mm -hmm. right? And that in turn makes them more vulnerable again mm. to being abused again. Mm. Yeah. yeah. If they have to leave the house again, let me tell you. So from so, what you've been saying, Haley, is that treatment and therapy for this in whatever way somebody chooses and 
And I think when we come back to this, that's going to be the focus of what we look at becomes it's really long term. It is very much. It's not much. like two or three counseling sessions yeah. and you're done with this. Mm. I think on a physical level, um, the sexology, the tantra mm. work that was done for me certainly helped to process the fear around my body and mm. for me to reconnect with my body, yes. not to hate it. But the, yeah, the psychological damage, um, it is ongoing. So even now, two years down the line, I still have my wobbles. Mm. So I still need help as I go, and as many people do. And some people keep quiet for 10, 15 years before mm. they share their stories. Yeah. And since I've helped, started helping rape victims themselves, I'm hearing stories that people have never shared to another living soul. Mm. You know what that does? It eats you up inside. Yeah. So I just encourage people to share and to get it out of their bodies, out of their heads, out. Because as you've said, once a woman admits to having been abused, having been raped, there's enormous stigma directed mm. at her. Huge judgments. Huge judgment. I lost many friends and family members because people could not understand me or be there for me. Mm. So I'd rather not deal with people that were judging me afterwards so harshly. And these are friends and people mm. that love you, but they have no capacity to understand how to be instead of telling you to buck up, saying, come, let me give you a hug. How can I help you? Mm. I just read a story in uh, one of Israel's most respected newspapers that a 17-year-old a few years ago was raped in a club. We had a, like a gangbang uh, group rape. And she was under the influence, and uh, but she remembers what happened and, of course, the whole court case and everything, but she couldn't cope. And she didn't get enough support, and she started, she just went into drugs, and she wanted to get more drugs, so she went into being a prostitute, and she died from overdose yesterday or a few days ago. Oh, sure. And it's a young girl, it's a young, beautiful, vibrant girl that wants attention from guys, and, you know, we are all sexual beings, we use our beautiful appearance, or we want to be attractive, that's what also the media and the commercials tell us, mm. be attractive, be beautiful, you know, show everything, because that's how you're going to be successful, or just have a lot mm. of attention. And then we actually understand that it needs to come with consciousness. It needs to come with owning what are we presenting. And yes, don't tell me how to dress, but mm. definitely be in a position that you are, at least that you can, you can be, in, you can be in a place that you know you can minimize the risk. You can be in a place that you have self-esteem. You know that mm. you are worth a lot. I have so many, I have very young sisters and they all tell me about their friends that get a lot of attention from sexual relationships. And if they're in the wrong environment or one wrong friend or one not so stable, and I'm talking about, you know, people from a very high socioeconomical, you know, uh, background. And a lot of our friends, they don't even admit for it to be rape, but it was just, it was, you know, they went yeah, home. We'll justify, just, we'll explain, yeah. we'll make so it, it something else because exactly. we can't deal with it and we don't have a structure and we know that mm. the people around us can't deal with mm. it. Yeah. Mia, where do you intend to take this? Hmm. Where's where's the next step? What's the development of the app or, yes. or the story? So, yeah. uh, well, um, we are hoping to be able to see trends of mm. reporting r rape and uh, any kind and, and physical abuse also um, of women in Dipsluit, and then to meet with the five with the partners that we have and get their input because the whole thing was really done with their input and see where to take it. You know, perhaps there's enough data that tells us, you know what, we need a emergency line that mm. someone can man and we need funding for that. Remember, we're just a media organization. Yeah. So we, we're the link and the communication, but, you know, perhaps that's what they can apply for. Perhaps it works really well in Dipsluit and it can be replicated in other places, mm. not necessarily townships, universities, yeah. you know, um, there, there is, is an not, issue. Yes. There is not a two-week period that goes past where a rape on some campus somewhere is not reported. reported. Yeah. Yes. And that's probably, once again, the tip of the iceberg. Yes. And in terms of stories, you know, we'd, I'd love to publish mm. another long-form feature on, on alcohol and the links, mm. you know, not just to rape, but like to… Most dangerous drug. To health, like, mm. you know, to HIV, to unintended pregnancies. And, you know, stories can be so powerful if they're told through people mm. and not just through stats and mm. if they're humanized. But it takes a long time to get them yeah. <laughs> to that level. So that's the next project I'm working on, yeah. Haley, that's why it's so important that you are here because when we hear status, you know, it's, it's, it's statistics. Mm. This child and that child and that woman. And it's also, it's the separate thing. So it's these people who live in a township 
that never had a lot to do with me on some level. Yeah, or that girl, she but was just asking for so many things run to, through our heads. It's like, no, she might. Yeah. But that's me. Because, you know, there's something. Uh, Tamara and I were at a Biodanza experience on Dance. Wednesday night. And um, one of the things that the facilitator, Christos, our friend, said at some point, your heart is mine and my heart is yours. And in the simple truth of the connection of life, every one of these experiences impacts on us. Us is connected. And, yeah. And the deeper and the horrifying truth of it is on some level, we've all given consent for that to be in existence in our world because of its existence. And healing ourselves in this becomes so important and living more from ourselves in that space of love. I had a really fascinating insight yesterday of if we were taught to love ourselves more, how different our lives would be. Oh, yes. How much less of these kinds of things would there be, but really taught to love yourself. I look back at my life. I look at the hurt that I've caused, the hurt that has caused me. Um, learning to love myself more, would I have done so many of them? No way. Mm. Would any of us have? Mm. And... Maybe that's what we need to be educating people about. Absolutely. Never mind where the fuck is Antarctica. Mm. I mean, that's important. Mm. It's useless because you have Google today. So you can look <laughs> up and you can put into Google where the fuck is Antarctica and Google will tell you exactly where Antarctica is. Learning to love ourselves more, we would not do this. Mm. We no. would live yeah. Differently, I think that would help so many rape survivors as well, having the basis of learning that, yeah. being easier to re Re, or to heal yourself and to yeah. rebuild yourself because you despise yourself and to go from scratch after rape is the yeah. longest, hardest journey that leads to post-traumatic stress disorder and all sorts of other addictions and mm. yeah, afflictions. So and yeah, yeah moving away yourself. from from being a victim mm. um, and not getting stuck up and holding on to mm. that. Mm. Yeah, it's a horrendous experience. There's no question of mm. that but living the fullness of life. And that becomes a part of the fabric of who you are. There's mm. no question of that. Absolutely. And experience that deep. It sits in your body. It sits in your cells. It sits in your tissues. There's no question of mm. that. But from loving ourselves more, we change and we heal this. Absolutely. And teaching our children. Absolutely. And, you know, I get asked a lot, how do you teach your children about sex? And it's an interesting answer, but I had... An amazing insight two or three weeks ago. You want to teach your children something, teach them how to get help. Sure. Teach them when they need it, the right kind mm. of therapy, the right kind of healing, the right kind of mentorship, the right people to talk to. You want to teach your children something, mm. teach them how to get help when they need it. Mm. We can't do any of this stuff alone, none of us. And we're all in this together. Mm, absolutely. And every child that gets raped and every woman that gets raped is my child and my woman. So what the fuck are we doing in our world? Thank you for sharing with us. I don't know what more I can say. We wish you so much pleasure. Cliffcentral.com